Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Hey, everyone listening to the podcast. This is Ari Melbourne. As you can tell from the way I'm talking to you, this is a podcast extra, not an edition of the show. It's a bonus podcast where I want to share with you some of our coverage of a very important issue on this conspiracy replacement theory. It's a xenophobic idea that minorities are going to be formally immigrated to the United States to replace a kind of a white majority. It all dates back to an anti-Semitic and racist set of theories that come out of a French castle for real. And we've covered this in depth, so we want to share that with you, our in-depth report on the replacement theory and what you need to know about it. And then perspective from Brittany Packnett Cunningham, who has worked with President Obama on the policing task force. After that, I'm also going to share with you some other serious and important stuff, including our beat reporting on the Buffalo shooting, how the replacement theory fits into that, and how influential theories like this are part of a global war of ideas. In other words, yes, we know that hate and racism is old, but no, it's not enough to just say that. If you want to actually confront this stuff, there's a lot of evidence that you have to understand how these things spread, how they are basically sold or laundered as something that is appealable to a larger group of folks who don't want to identify, for example, as neo-Nazis. So it's serious stuff. It's important. But we put it together for you here in the podcast extra. So without further ado, here is our Beat Podcast Extra. We begin tonight looking at these communities, mourning what is a nationwide problem and what people are taking in was a senseless act of racist terrorism committed here inside the United States. This white gunman walking into the grocery store in Buffalo, New York this weekend. This was a majority black neighborhood and the evidence shows the shooter knew that. Going on to kill 10 people, injuring three more. A city's worst mass shooting ever. Today, officials say this alleged shooter planned to continue an attack beyond the supermarket. And the plan was explicitly to target more black people like those targeted inside the store had he not been stopped by police. They arrive on the scene within minutes, and we have more on the police response later in the program. But the suspect has been identified as 18-year-old Peyton Kendrick. Authorities say he was armed with an AR-15 rifle, tactical gear, body armor when he opened fire. There was also his attempt to live stream the massacre online. We're not showing you that. He has been charged with first-degree murder. The FBI also investigating this as a federal hate crime. Civil rights attorney Ben Crump also discussing it, as I just mentioned, as domestic terror. This was an act of domestic terrorism perpetrated by a young white supremacist. Just like America responds to terrorism, America needs to respond to this act of bigotry, racism, and hate as a terrorist act. That's a powerful call from Mr. Crump, who you may recognize, who deals with civil rights issues and policing issues around the nation. So let's get into this right now, because he just asked about America responding, which goes beyond just the government or justice system response. How do we as a nation deal with what is happening? Because it happened this weekend, but it's not done 
happening. Law enforcement officials say this alleged shooter posted a 180-page manifesto online just days before the attack, and it draws on and references replacement theory at least 28 times. That is a racist conspiracy theory that basically in Western countries like the United States and some countries in Europe, some type of racial and religious group of external minorities from somewhere else in the world will, quote, replace the rightful white supremacist majority of those nations. Now, at one time, this was considered, quote, unquote, fringe. But again, when you hear what Mr. Crump asks about how we in America will deal with this, we're not talking about red and blue here. We're not talking about the size of the government. We're not talking about policy. We are talking about a growing push to get people thinking like this so they might act like this, which is why we believe we've tried to put together some important reporting on this important problem tonight. Because this is being amplified and pushed by some very influential people in America and specifically on the right. For example, Fox News host Tucker Carlson. People count up this kind of stuff. So whether you watch him or not, the fact is that the people who do and who track this note that he has made a reference or variation to this type of hateful conspiracy theory, this replacement thing, over 400 times since 2016. There are some nights where it seems just like the core point of his show. In political terms, this policy is called the great replacement, the replacement of legacy Americans. The strategy is to change the demographics of the country. You disempower the people who live here. You take their votes away. The Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate. What Tucker does there has a little partisan spin. You heard that at the end. It talks about one party doing this. But make no mistake, in case someone is narrow-minded enough to only look at this through partisan lenses, as we've documented on this program before, where this came from, out of hateful corners of Europe and where this is going is really not about parties. It is about trying to have a race war. Now, this alleged gunman screed invokes the race replacement theory. Now, I want to say on our MSNBC coverage from across the weekend through tonight, there is a careful goal not to indiscriminately echo or disseminate every piece of this, every claim or lie inside this conspiracy theory. To show the exact evidence, though, of the link to this very serious mass murder this weekend, I'm now going to quote a portion of this suspect's claims for you, including his, admit, his admission, his admission that this exact racist worldview is what got him thinking about committing violence. Quote, I learned that the white race is dying out, that blacks are disproportionately killing whites. We are doomed by high rates of immigration, he says again there at the end of that quote. And he later writes, quote, my race was doomed and it was there that I started to think about committing an attack, end quote. His words. Now, as a matter of reporting or law, there is not a stipulation here drawing a causal link between this act and this violence and any individual person's rhetoric. Indeed, this kind of investigation can be quite complex and take a long time when you go beyond what happened that day to what may or may not have caused it, who is linked to it, or in legal terms, if there's any other direct actors, whether there was some sort of attempted conspiracy. That is not what we are asserting here, and I say that in all deliberate care. At the same time, we note 
there are ways that this very screed from this very alleged killer echo exactly what has been pushed out here across parts of the European and American right wing and across parts of Fox News and Tucker Carlson's show. How precisely is diversity our strength? Since you've made this our new national motto, please be specific as you explain it. Can you think, for example, of other institutions, such as, I don't know, marriage or military units, in which the less people have in common, the more cohesive they are? Do you get along better with your neighbors or your coworkers if you can't understand each other or share no common values? There is that overlap. As for Fox's position on this, they are not directly commenting. They did tell The Washington Post that there are examples they pointed to where Tucker Carlson has spoken out against violence. And because he has a platform, he may speak out on it, of course, this week. Now, we've previously reported on replacement theory right here on The Beat. This was last year, documenting how it was gaining traction, how it was not going away, how some Republican lawmakers were pushing it as a type of what they argued was policy discourse. We traced it all the way back to its French origins. Yes, this anti-immigrant theory is, as a matter of ideological history itself, an immigrant idea. Indeed, it comes from the reclusive and self-published author, a guy named Renaud Camus. Now, he talks about it in the context of what he views as the right leaders of France. He thinks they have to be white. He thinks they are the rightful and, quote, original population. That's what we hear on the American right wing today about legacy populations. And he worries they are going to be replaced by minorities from Africa. The change of people and, uh, and enough civilization. Great replacement is the darkest thing which can happen. I think the uh, crime against humanity in the 21st century is the great replacement. You think it is the crime against humanity yes. of our times? Yes, yes, very much so. The question is, is it time now for white Anglo-Saxon English-speaking Americans to be substituted in the turn as That is the face of white supremacy, of ethno-nationalism, completely at odds with, if you were an originalist, the founding documents of the United States and the effort to have a society not built around race, but built around the rule of law, of democracy, of pluralism. These are the things you learn in the textbooks, you learn them in law school. These are the things under attack. Camus lives in a 14th century landmark castle in the south of France. That's whose ghostwriting, you might say, some of what is passing for these concerns about America coming out of uh, Tucker Carlson. Now, this weekend, another person has drawn on this conspiracy theory in these words, this time committing a mass murder. But it's not the first time that these ideas, which many of which are constitutionally protected speech. You can say these things. So it's not the first time that they've moved towards actions that are not protected because they involve menacing or violence. In 2017, we saw the neo-Nazis directly quoting this same thing, replacement theory, as they marched in Charlottesville. Jews will not replace us! Jews will not replace us! You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You will not replace us. 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 Jews will not replace us. 
part of the writings of this conspiracy theory have the idea that in America or these Western states, Jews will help foreign minorities, quote unquote, take over. And Europe doesn't have a great record on these issues if you look at the far right and the hate speech and what hate speech can lead to. Now, others have trafficked in this and meant it. There was Brenton Tarrant. In March of 2019, he attacked two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, killing 51 people, pushing white supremacy, posting about replacement theory. And what you see here is how that can drive interest. This is international Google data, which shows a spike in searches for replacement theory around that incident. Then in August 2019, you have a spike when another shooter, Patrick Crusuis, attacked that Walmart in El Paso. 23 people died there. He posted online complaining or warning of what he viewed a Hispanic invasion of Texas. Then you have April 2021. That's the biggest spike to date. That's Google data, and you see the person pushing at that time through media was Tucker Carlson. He talked about a demographic replacement on air. The New York Times reports on this as well, and you see that massive spike in interest. Today, well, searches for replacement theory after some spiking down are back up again after this alleged gunman has been linked to the conspiracy theory. What you see on your screen is something that may be less fringe in the numerical sense as it is embraced by some who want to talk about it, which, as I mentioned, in the United States is allowed and embraced by others who want to use it as a pretext or explanation or incitement of terrible violence and terrorism. I'm joined now by Brittany Packnett Cunningham. She's the host of Undistracted, the podcast. She was also on President Obama's 21st Century Policing Task Force. Uh, welcome. Thank you for joining me at a grim time. Uh, we put that together to try to make sure there is some understanding of the wider context. Uh, as you heard and viewers heard, I took pains to mention that some speech, even terrible speech, is protected. Violence is not. Uh, what do you make of this uh, alleged killer, this suspect, as we say legally, citing this conspiracy theory, this racism for his alleged violence? You know, I would add to the really thorough overview that you made of the Great Replacement Theory that this is not new here in America, even if there was no Google to search for it, and even if it wasn't being called the Great Replacement Theory. If we look at the rise of Jim Crow across the American South, it happened because suddenly, at the dawn of emancipation, white slave owners and other white supremacists looked around and realized that because of the continued breeding of enslaved people, because of the continued importing of human labor from Africa, suddenly there was a critical mass of black people across the South. Those folks mm. aimed to live their lives. Those folks aimed to raise their families. Some of those folks even reached the levels of higher office and elected office. And suddenly we saw a slate of laws and a, a, an error of terror uh, begin in order to beat back those folks who might, again, live their lives of racial terror that we continued to ignore was a time when lynching was at an all-time high. It was a time when um, the kind of terrorizing of black families and black people was at an all-time high, whether it was at the voting booth or, again, at a grocery store or a general store. So this is not new to America. It goes beyond Fox News. It goes beyond, like you said, a political party. This is about recognizing that the Great Replacement Theory, as it is now being called, 
tells us that white supremacists know exactly how this system makes the rest of us suffer. They know exactly how minorities are treated. That's why they don't want to become one. You know, people like me spend a lot of time trying to convince folks of the suffering of marginalized people. But the great replacement theory, in essence, is a single admission that white supremacists are afraid that we will do to them precisely what they've been doing to us for generations. And that tells us all we need to know. Yeah, you packed a lot in there, including how that sort of that fear mixed with a kind of projected uh, abuse of power or injustice, you know, traffics with a, a kind of awareness. Uh, there's long running debates over immigration in this country. And in the original report we did on this, uh, again, whether it's sort of uh, I'm being annoyingly lawyerly re repetitive or not, we took pains to mention there's, of course, legitimate debates over immigration policy and how you do it and how open or close the door is and what's going on in the world and what's going on with war and refugees, right? This is distinct and different um, because it presupposes uh, a racist, anti-Semitic, uh, anti-Muslim, religiously bigoted system that's a closed system. Uh, and so you kind of are exiting the land of policy and going into this. And yet, uh, I, I go to those pains to mention all that nuance because people who don't follow this closely or might get confused or might be listening to bad faith actors might think, well, it sounds like immigration. Here's how some Republicans uh, have been trying to walk that line uh, on the immigration issue and replacement. Take a listen. The revolution has begun. We are being invaded. They're not invited. We're replacing national-born American, native-born Americans per to permanently transform the political landscape of this very nation. Republican Congressman Matt Gates, quote, Tucker Carlson is all caps correct. The so-called replacement theory. Illegals who are here, who right. are going to take our education, our health care, all. So it's, it's government, it's politics. Brittany. I find it fascinating to hear white people talk about who's illegal on stolen land. I find it absolutely fascinating that folks can perpetuate this kind of theory knowing full well that it was the genocide of indigenous people and the enslavement of black people, black African people, that created this country in the first place that now white people are saying they are native born to. We should all find that absolutely terrifying. And frankly, we should all be terrified by the fact there, there are more and more of these kind of gunmen, these kind of domestic terrorists being built every single day in classrooms when books get banned, when uh, history is not being taught, and when people refuse to actually tell the truth and fire the folks who do. This will happen again. This is the scary part of this. You will report on a massacre like this again. You will ask somebody like me to come and help people make sense of this. Uh, and the reason why is because we have yet to see courage from a critical mass of lawmakers on both sides of the aisle who finally put their foot down and recognize that this rhetoric is nothing but hate. We have yet to see care from enough federal intelligence agencies who often have the intel about these things and people, but don't actually prevent these activities. We haven't seen consciousness from gun manufacturers and their lobby from tech companies where these ideas continue to, to be proliferated, certainly from media outlets who perpetuate these kind of lies. We certainly haven't seen any kind of conscience from politicians who will spout and espouse these views and then get sunny profiles in mainstream papers like The Hill. This will happen again as long as we don't recognize what's happening right in front of us and how it is being perpetuated in all of the dark corners and places that we want to ignore and all of the places like our classrooms and church houses yeah. and television screens where we're not paying enough attention. 
Yeah, it's, as I mentioned, it's a grim time. You're making a lot of sense, um, but any any sense, any logic here is cold comfort given what we're going through. I hope people are listening. Uh, and Brittany, thank you for joining me tonight. The nation's reeling from this deadliest mass shooting through this whole year. It's a racist massacre. It terrorized the community of Buffalo. It raises new questions about the hate, the vitriol, the racism that radicalizes people, as we've been covering tonight. And that's just about the killer, the motive, and the shooting. Then there are the separate questions about the police response here and the broader approach of law enforcement, because as this horrific news was even first breaking, it became clear police were dealing with an active shooter, a mass killer, allegedly, armed for a major firefight. A gunman in upstate New York opened fire at a Topps supermarket store, killing 10 people. The heavily armed killer, wearing body armor and a tactical helmet, live streamed the massacre. Cornered by police, authorities convinced him to drop the gun he had pointed at his neck. White male suspect is now in custody. And that, that suspect wanted to kill many more to continue his hate-fueled rampage. That's some of what the authorities confronted, and yet police never fired a shot at him. When they arrived, police didn't know if he would shoot at them or others or what his next plans were. They just knew he was the suspect in killing more people in a day than anyone this year. And yet, the guy walked out of the store, as a witness recounted. The cops were just screaming at him, and he just stood there. It was like he wanted them to shoot him. And that was the police restraint leading to some of this scene you see captured here. The suspect arrested peacefully, no shots fired after he allegedly killed 10 people, which the police chief touted. He put the gun underneath his chin and our officers um, very courageously used every de-escalation tactic that they could. They talked him down. Um, it was a, you know, a, a pretty uh, one-sided fight there with the, uh, with the armor that he had, and they were able to safely take him into custody with no further shots being fired. It was a, a, just a tremendous act of bravery. There was certainly bravery on display this weekend by civilians and officers facing down the emergency. It's good no more shots had to be fired. But there was also a stark double standard in policing here, because when faced with the deadliest shooting of the year, and a suspect who is literally still holding a gun used to allegedly kill 10 innocent people. Well, at that moment, police were at the highest possible legal threshold for firing a weapon, for using deadly force. And they didn't. By contrast, two months ago, Buffalo police used deadly force on Dominique Thomas shooting him when he had a mental health episode and was reportedly seen with a knife. Last year, Buffalo police used deadly force to shoot at Willie Henley, a 60-year-old homeless man who was accused of swinging a bat at an officer. Neither of those people had a gun. Neither were accused of killing a person, let alone 10 people moments before. But they were both black. And for all the talk about the danger facing police, or the facts of a given incident, which do matter, the data still shows that race drives different outcomes here. Discrimination and racism shape police interactions, sometimes more than an active mass shooter, which is, of course, the deadliest emergency police ever face. Dangerous to the people police serve, dangerous to the police themselves. And yet you have this drastically different use of force, and it's long been documented. Police use more force, and deadly force on black people 
who are three times as likely to be killed by police. Now, the Buffalo police just de-escalated an arrest of an armed, alleged mass shooter. And data shows police frequently escalate interactions with black people over non-violent infractions. Over 400 people killed in traffic stops who were unarmed, according to a recent Times report on five years of data, and that disproportionately resulted in the killing of minorities by police. Anyone familiar with the news knows what this looks like. It was a traffic stop over a brake light that didn't work, which led to South Carolina police shooting Walter Scott in the back, killing him. Unlike this Buffalo shooter, Mr. Scott was unarmed and fleeing, not holding a gun at a murder scene. Jacob Blake was walking away from police, not seen holding a weapon at the time when police shot him seven times in the back. That left him partially paralyzed. Authorities say they later found a knife on the scene. Or there's a case when police shot an unarmed 22-year-old, Stephon Clark, eight times, killing him. Now, that was investigated, but the prosecutor cleared the officers with a sweeping defense, saying the police wrongly believed this individual's cell phone was a gun. So that made it legally okay to kill him. All of those statements that those officers made within the seconds after the shooting support the belief that they honestly, without hesitation, believe he had a gun. We will not charge these officers with any criminal liability related to the shooting death and the use of force on Stephon Clark. This happens all the time. So the system says out loud, police can kill that unarmed person because police had a mistaken fear of him. Stack that against the current Buffalo police explanation of their restraint against an actually armed suspect standing outside of a mass shooting. You know, last month, it was another traffic stop which led police to shoot 26-year-old Patrick Laoya in the back of the head after a struggle ensued pursuant to a traffic stop. You may recall we covered this at the time. The same pattern. It was a stop over a nonviolent allegation. The officer escalated it. Then there was a struggle ensuing over the taser. The officer pinned the suspect and then quickly killed him. Let go of the taser! Now he ain't got no taser. I see, I see that. Let go of the taser! I think he's telling how many cars you got going. Drop the taser! Everyone. This is an all too common way the police use force. And we're talking about it for a reason on the news tonight. This is known to anyone with a reason to know people in legal and media circles who interact with these basic facts, experts who track this data. I quoted some of the data earlier. And you know who else knows? People who live in communities who are policed like this every single day. That is the background for what we then live through as a nation, that infamous, slow, brutal police murder of George Floyd, who was unarmed, it occurred pursuant to an arrest over a nonviolent petty property crime. That was news, but it was not new. And the Americans who were scandalized or shocked by that type of police force had not been paying attention or not wanted to. For all the outrage over that particular killing, the police use of deadly force continues at the same pace, the same rate in America this year, a steady line, as you see there from the Washington Post count. So after an alleged 
racist killing spree directed at black Americans this weekend. The unusual restraint in peacefully apprehending this apparently active shooter holding a gun when they got there is very notable, just as it was when police peacefully apprehended Dylan Roof after he murdered nine people in a violent hate crime in South Carolina. The Buffalo shooter will get his day in court. But this double standard runs from the government to the discourse we have, which shapes how we and jurors think about these cases. When police killed an unarmed black 18-year-old, Michael Brown, which set off those Ferguson protests in the Obama era, the nonpartisan, objective Associated Press reported he was a man posing that threat. He was unarmed. The AP identifies this same aged 18-year-old suspect as a teenager. We should note, after criticism, the AP later updated that reporting over the weekend, but the reference to a white teenager taking this action was widely distributed. And while that police chief I showed you said the suspect was pointing this gun at himself, that accepts this alleged killer's claim that he's suddenly less dangerous, that he has an intent to stop killing others and perhaps kill himself, which he didn't. That was cited as a reason for the de-escalation. And it's vital to confront how that relates to the double standard because police took the alleged killer at his word. They believed he would just stop shooting at people. They took the word of the gunman at the murder scene, which is the opposite of what the police and prosecutors did in some of these other cases I'm telling you about. They would not take the word of an unarmed black man pursued for a non-violent infraction in the first place. Instead, the system said in that case of Stefan Clark, whether we remember him or not, the system said, well, if police wrongly think that somebody has a gun, somebody like him has a gun, well, then the police can shoot on sight. All of those statements that those officers made within the seconds after the shooting support the belief that they honestly, without hesitation, believed he had a gun. That's what they believed. It's all out in the open. This is the time to deal with. And the point here is not that American police should use even more force at the wrong time. It is not that they should somehow, quote, error on the side of killing any person who might be safely dealt with nonviolently. Safely for the person, safely for the police, safely for the community. That's not the point. Many experts and civil rights leaders have made the core point before, saying they are not asking police to kill other suspects the way the police are killing unarmed black Americans. They're asking police to stop killing unarmed black Americans. And when that seemingly baseline simple plea is made, well, we've all been doing this together. We've been living through this together. You, you know what happens. It's met with a litany of legal justifications and factual hypotheticals. The police maybe believed that the unarmed person was armed. I just showed you that example. Or they believed he was grabbing a taser in a way that would flip the whole conflict around. Or they believed he might pose a future threat. Or they believed he might get in his nearby car with a weapon that was conveniently waiting there and then turn that while outnumbered by the police. It's a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo. And so the point here is not to rerun the play over the weekend. The point is to understand this weekend's facts in a scene like that. 
But the deadliest shooting of the year and a peaceful apprehension gives lie and shreds so many of the claims we have been hearing that relate to so many other innocent lives. In this case, innocent black lives. Those are some of the facts. This may be a lot of things, this moment we're living through, but it is definitely not about black lives. And remember that when they come for you, and at this rate, they will. The Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate, the voters now casting ballots, with new people, more obedient voters from the third world. But they become hysterical because that's, that's what's happening, actually. They will come for you and replace you. This is an elaborate conspiracy theory that is gaining traction right now on the American right. It's a white supremacist claim, and it is that non-white immigrants will replace the electorate, the presumably more white electorate. Now, this matters because it's racist and dangerous and influential, with proponents trying to hide and launder and dress up a hateful dogma in a kind of pseudo-intellectual policy framework, peddling warnings about the replacement of white people as some kind of policy discourse on immigration or cultural heritage. Our special report right now explores this history and exposes this fraud with an eye on an ugly, terrible history that we all know about. You even learn about it in grade school. And it is proven, history has taught us, it is not effective to ignore or minimize these kind of ideologies and this kind of hatred this kind of racism and this kind of anti-Semitism when it crops up, as it repeatedly does in many societies with any level of diversity, be it religious or racial. And it's especially tough when economic times get hard and community harmony frays. Now, this replacement theory that I'm going to tell you about right now fixates specifically on immigration. It starts with a claim to an allegedly neutral position, the claim that, well, most countries set limits on immigration, and that can include some type of standards for who is admitted to the country. Okay, true enough. Then it pivots into white supremacist racism, arguing that countries like France or the U.S. are inherently white, so immigration limits must patrol against any racial minorities or foreigners to stop them from, quote, replacing the allegedly current white residents replace the current electorate with new people, more obedient voters from the third world. You will not replace us. You will not replace us. This is a purposeful resettlement. White replacement theory. No, no, no. This is a voting rights question. It's going to be millions of illegal yes. immigrants yes. into the United States. They're coming to a neighborhood near you. We are being invaded. They're coming to our backyard. It's your country. You own it. You pay for it. You were born here. It belongs to you. This theory is a new spin on some very old types of arguments, some of which do remain so discredited that even these proponents insist they're not actually endorsing those other things, those other ideologies, that other type of white supremacy or Nazi ideology. Now, Donald Trump did say there were good people at that infamous Charlottesville rally as the neo-Nazis openly chanted against replacement. And many right-wingers do traffic in this direct kind of hate. But this is what's important about this particular thing tonight. The history of hate shows that it also rises 
in more insidious and even subtle and sophisticated garb. From Europe to the U.S., white-dominated societies have wrongly claimed that nature or testing or science provide some sort of distinctions for elevating a white ruling class and excluding others. America, built on a system of racial slavery, Jim Crow racism continuing long after the legal end of slavery itself. For immigration, the U.S. limited immigrants from a wide range of countries. Congress barred people from Asia in the Chinese Exclusion Act in the 1880s. It sought other ways to limit Irish, Catholic, and Jewish migrants. And when people did try to challenge that blatant discrimination, the courts upheld the rules. An Indian man, Bhagat Singh Tin, tried to find one loophole by asserting under law that he could be counted as maybe Caucasian because he was from North India. But the Supreme Court left no doubt, ruling against him, stating, quote, the physical characteristics of the Hindus render them readily distinguishable from those seen as white. So that legal ground was clear for Congress to go further. In 1924, there was a bipartisan consensus for an immigration crackdown. Here's a immigration bill passed overwhelmingly, 62 to 6. And you see there, ban on Asiatics made operative. That was 1924. Just one year later, The Great Gatsby came out, a book mocking rich white elites. And by the way, it shows the villain talking up the kind of white supremacy that also would later animate this replacement theory. If we don't watch out, the white race will be utterly submerged. No, that's so. It's up to us who are the dominant race to watch out or these other races will have control of things. So it's certainly not a question of if it can happen here. It's whether it will happen here again fully. It was only within the last 70 years that U.S. immigration rules ended those direct limits I showed you under law on people from Asia. It's only in that time span that the U.S. dismantled legal quotas and other limits amidst explicit pressure from civil rights protests in the 1960s. Having a president who even publicly embraces a diverse immigration approach is a relatively new feature in American life. In 1998, then-President Clinton, a lawyer who knew the history I just briefly showed of America's immigration laws, saw what was coming. And he tried to urge America to face these changing demographics head on, to welcome them. He tried to urge people to see all of this as a source of strength and unity. He basically was trying to talk to white Americans about deciding what to do, since this has always been a nation of immigrants. Today, largely because of immigration, there is no majority race in Hawaii or Houston or New York City. In a little more than 50 years, there will be no majority race in the United States. What do the changes mean? They can either strengthen and unite us, or they can weaken and divide us. We must decide. Decide. And how do people decide? How do people make decisions? Well, by their own experience, right? Their emotions, maybe sometimes reason. But also by reacting to cues from who they see as leaders, influential voices, social circles. On the right, those sources more openly embrace raw hate these days. And this year now embrace its dressed-up cousin replacement theory. But there's also this emerging younger American 
demographics and electorate that's embracing a more diverse population and more cosmopolitan mixing or whatever you want to call it, people just existing together. But they're pitted against this retrograde group, reaching backwards for anything that might stop the change or justify it with this junk science. The people trying to stop these so-called invasions from abroad might be surprised to learn this replacement theory itself is from abroad. As an idea, it's an immigrant. It's a non-American concept from abroad. Now, that's not by any means one of the largest problems with replacement theory. It's just an ironic side note. And not only that, it's from a country that many conservative Americans have spent years mocking, a nation that clashed so much with the Republican Bush administration, they even once retitled French fries, Freedom Fries. I'm talking about France. Now, this is a serious issue tonight. If it were a different topic, we might run a clip of the evil French race car driver from Talladega Nights, a comedy that really mocks anti-immigrant and specifically anti-French sentiment on the American right. But this is too serious to do that. Maybe another time. But replacement theory is from France. I'm serious about that. Conservative writer and right-wing politician Renaud Camus, who you see here, he literally lives in a 14th century castle with a 10-story tower, quite the real estate. You can see his lifestyle right there. And he drew on much of the ugly history I just explored with you to, in his view, warn white people in France or other white majority countries of what he sees as a, quote, great replacement of their original population with newer arrivals, mostly from Africa, those immigrants that he is afraid of. This is one face of modern white supremacist pseudoscience, claiming to draw on books or policy and flipping concepts of human rights and crimes against humanity back into a supposed attack on a white ruling class who he argues, who he alleges, who he warns are about to become the victims. The change of people and, uh, and enough civilization. Great replacement is the darkest thing which can happen. I think the uh, crime against humanity in the 21st century is the great replacement. You think it is the crime against humanity yes. of our times? Yes, yes, very much so. The question is, is it time now for white Anglo-Saxon, English-speaking Americans to be substituted in the turn as Indians were? By English-speaking, he again means white. Camus under the First Amendment, has the right to share his words across the United States. Issues not censorship. But many are drawing on his words to do crime, hate crimes, violence, murder. Now, we're deep into this special report with all the history. We have not spent much time on the history of the Nazis and the Holocaust in Europe. And very few topics are clarified with comparisons to Nazis. But neo-Nazis compare themselves to Nazis. They are the modern Nazis. They say so. They are the ones quoting Camus in their marches. That 2017 right-wing rally in Charlottesville was the moment in America that many people first heard a direct reference to this replacement theory. Jews will not replace us! Jews will not replace us! 
You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You will not replace us. You will not replace us. You will not replace us. Those neo-Nazis take this replacement hatred literally as do some recent white supremacist mass murderers like the gunman who killed over 50 people in a New Zealand mosque in those attacks, or the El Paso shooter who killed over 20 people in a Walmart. Some of the worst documented hate crimes in modern history. Those murderers invoked this conspiracy theory by name. The El Paso shooter wrote a diatribe claiming to defend the U.S. from cultural and ethnic <coughs> replacement and stated that this theory made him target Latinos because the Hispanic community was not their target before, quote, I read The Great Replacement. Camus says that he condemns that violence. He also said after the New Zealand mass murder that he still welcomes how his ideas are spreading. <clears throat> Noting he does not object to people seeing the, what he calls, ethnic substitution that's in progress in his country. No, he says, to the contrary. He does not object to that notoriety, to those followings. Ideas and prejudice and hate, they spread in all sorts of ways. Those neo-Nazis know that many conspiracy theories and justifications against Jews and gay people and racial minorities spread for many, many years before the 1940s. Today, some of this can be tracked even more precisely in real time. Google has this mountain of data on what people search. And people are noticing this right now this year more than before. We can show it to you. Google has the data that shows you see the interest in replacement theory pretty stagnant in over a decade period there. Even during, really, around the 2019, 2019 shooting, some greater interest. And then the largest spike in Google Trends is this year, it's right now, it's after Trump's leaving office, it's 2021. The term pushed on Fox News, and if some people had not heard much about it yet or thought much about it yet, Fox anchors are changing that, putting it out into the bloodstream, getting people Googling, thinking, talking about it, deciding whether or not this is something that can justify something. And then, even though I just showed you most people aren't aware of it, the same Fox anchors claim that people were already preemptively upset about the term's use. The left and all the little gatekeepers on Twitter become literally hysterical if you use the term replacement. This is a purposeful resettlement yeah. of, it's going to be millions of illegal yes. immigrants yes. into the United States. This is what those influential voices and leaders are pushing. There you had, of course, a senator and the number two presidential candidate in the Republican Party, Ted Cruz, to Donald Trump, nodding along. So the claim goes from the fringe to the hate groups to what passes for mainstream conservative opinion and then moves into the halls of power, where Ted Cruz and other members of Congress and now some Republican officials are either nodding along or literally invoking the exact theory linked to all this hate. The revolution has begun. We are being invaded, and they're not invited. We're replacing national-born American, native-born Americans per to permanently transform the political landscape of this very nation. Republican Congressman Matt Gates, Tucker Carlson is all caps correct. The so-called replacement theory. Illegals who are here, who right. are going to take our education, our health care. 
There's nothing new about white supremacists then claiming to be the victim while attacking less powerful groups. Hate crimes are generally on the rise in the U.S. right now, along with rising overall crime rates during the pandemic. We also have the division of an insurrection we just lived through and a movement bent on justifying all of this. You take it together and the stakes are high. The challenges are not new. America and many societies have beaten these ideologies before. There are evil, irredeemable people in this world, as there were in past generations, as there may be in future generations. But if you look at history, as we have here a little bit together tonight, massive movements that change countries and start wars do not need a majority to act only on racism and evil. They actually tend to do something very different. They tend to build on that core, perhaps, but then offer junk science and other theories and other claims to say that certain groups are inferior, to scapegoat, to use an old word, to say that this or that policy is actually a good thing to protect and improve something good, the society. And they do that so other people, some might be in on it, some might be ignorant, other people come along and start to think, well, maybe this is all okay. And that's how you really get more people on board. The ideas and premises matter. If they didn't, then even the neo-Nazis would not really bother quoting these faraway authors and castles, would they? It is very literally a war of ideas and ethics. And for those of us who believe in civilization and equality, and there are many of us, many of us, it is always better to pay attention, to think, to face it down and wage and win this war of ideas first to foresaw any alternative. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.